Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen, and we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Right before I spoke to the rapper Killer Mike, someone I talked to like a few times before, he let me know for this interview, he'd like to be called Michael. And once you hear our conversation, once you hear his new album, you'll understand why. You hear one of the finest rappers and lyricists of our time talk about why it was time to not make a political record, why it was time to get personal. And you'll hear the emotions that come up as he tells you about the sacrifices made by his late mother and grandmother so he could be great. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. How are you? Welcome to the show. Uh, let's start out with some music. Uh, I kill my masters. I miss with none. That means when I die, that's it. My style is gone. I'm a one of one. One half of the great. RTJ defeated the odds with the war with the gods. Earned all I scored and came back straight. So let's make sure I get this right. That's Killer Mike's voice. As part of the group Run the Jewels, Run the Jewels, if you don't know, one of the most critically acclaimed groups in hip-hop history. Killer Mike, if you don't know, considered to be one of the greatest writers, lyricists in hip-hop history. I mean, Kendrick Lamar himself even said that. But Killer Mike has used his voice for more than music. Like in Ferguson, Missouri, during riots after the fatal shooting of Michael Brown by a police officer, Killer Mike spoke up. Or after the murder of George Floyd, Killer Mike spoke up. Killer Mike sat down with Bernie Sanders and then spoke up for him. All the while making music that was political, sometimes really funny, always incredibly powerful. But here's the thing. Killer Mike has released a new solo album. It's called Michael, for his real name, Michael Render. And that title is meaningful and appropriate because this record is not about the character Killer Mike he says he's created and performed as over the years, but about the real man behind it. So heads up, this record is really personal, and it led to a pretty personal and emotional conversation with Michael about the album and his family and some of the loss that drove this new music. Here's my conversation with Michael Render, a.k.a. Killer Mike. Hey, how are you? I'm very happy to be here, man. As I mentioned, the world kind of knows you as Killer Mike. Your new album is called Michael, which is, of course, a reference to your full name, Michael Render. Tell me a little bit about that. I don't typically ask about album titles, but tell me a little bit about that decision. Well, the decision is there. If there, have you seen the album cover yet? Yeah, the Bucktooth Kid with so that little Bucktooth Kid with the flyaway collar and the horns and the halo. That's that's who started all this shit, right? He, and and in a lot of ways, my wife says I'm still that mischievous little boy that wanted to be an MC. That nine year old's imagination helped create this badass super rapping character named Killer Mike. And Killer Mike is 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 an invention I'm very proud of because. In a world that punishes black masculinity, in a world that makes that that, you know, Southern mothers used to have to tell their boys to be quiet and docile because you didn't want the word of a white woman like Emmett Till to get you beaten and battered. You didn't want uh, um, a, a request of the police to get you killed because they were seen as challenging you in that type of world. You, you create an MC image. You create the personification of you and you take that into the world and not just rappers just on a daily basis. Right. Um, 
And it was time to show that behind this superhero, Killer Mike, it's just this nine-year-old kid. And he's a he's he's a total badass MC. And he's also the child of teenage parents. And he's raised by his grandparents. And he grew up in this all-black enclave called the Collier Heights and Adamsville community. So he never felt like a minority. He never felt incompetent. He always knew that if I can make myself competent, the confidence I have is validated through knowing I can do it. And it's a different story than you're used to hearing out of rap. It's a different story than you're used to hearing out of the black male experience. But it's a more common story. It's a different story than you're used to hearing from the worker class. But it's a far more common story than than gets accredited for. And I wanted an opportunity to tell Michael's story just as Michael. Uh, and Killer Mike pops up on the record, but this is Michael. T- tell me more. It's, it's a different story than people would expect from a black masculinity. It's a different story that people would expect from the working class, but it's a more common story. Help me understand that better. What I, what I mean is, I told someone, I said, my grandmother heard motherless, and she saw me crying, and she would say, what you crying for, boy? Be a man. And she would absolutely know why I'm crying because I'm crippled at the thought that I can't see her or my mom, her daughter. It cripples me some days and I miss them so deeply. But like my sister told me 20 years ago, when my grandfather died. Get all the tears out now, just like a Southern woman would, because tomorrow you have to lead this family. Now I had no idea how to lead a family. You know, I have as a man, been taught all the stereotypes of toughness of, you know, I've been given all the good stereotypes to go outside and have adventure. But there's a, there's a place in any working man's time, whether it's a week or day a month, where he has to just go in the bathroom, look in the mirror and cry like hell and recognize that all my triumphs and all my adversities have been for purpose that they have to realize that I, like my father, move from a place of fear sometimes that I don't want the worst to happen to my children. So I overguard them when I have to let them go and let them get their bumps and bruises. That's what I mean. Every working class man can identify with that, especially Southern black men, because this is who I've grown up around. When I when I talk about, you know, how could I be a father? Barely could help my mama. This is a generational statement of an album. Where do we stand on our legacy and where will our legacy take us next? Where is this journey I'm on taking me next? What 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 caused this introspection? Um, well, the world was apparently dying, according to our governments, when they was asking for more of our rights. Um, and I had accomplished a goal. When me and L got together, I said, man, you know, to be a real rap group, we got to have four classic albums. And we found ourselves right at the the end of making the fourth classic album and the beginning to roll it out and going to have an amazing touring career. The world shuts down with COVID. And I just had a bunch of time and me and Cubs night year were home. And I had these old demos like, like down by law, the first record I started that just as like a freestyle during the Obama era. And at some point, Cubs talked to me, he says, you know, instead of working on mixtape stuff and just kind of, you know, hanging out, which we just needed to do because we just locked in the house as musicians, you get kind of frustrated just being in the house. And he said, man, let's, you know, I said, I want to, I want to work on the, the Michael album or the solo record. He was like, that's what we're going to do. Mm. And he put his career on hold and we spent the last two years crafting, um, to me, decades from now, still be regarded as one of the greatest, one of the greatest rap albums. But, but, but what caused the introspection? You know what I mean? Like, you, well, you, cause you're sitting there and people are dying. You're sitting there and people are dying and, and, and man, 
and you you have to you have to you know a, a lot of times my grandfather would just sit and be quiet and um I didn't understand that until you know recently where as a man he had endured so much in his life that simply being at peace as you know I looked at him he's just sitting in a chair chilling but it, it honestly was meditated um because I'm sitting here and people I love are dying People I love have died. The, it, this, if, if I leave this world today, what would I have left unsaid that needed to be said? You know, these records needed to be said, and I couldn't run from it anymore. You know, when, when you when you hear, when Killer Mike pops back up on Michael, he pops back up on a song called "Don't Let the Devil." Yeah. Watch the world go to hell as I'm laughing, saying it's perfect. Catch me after Sunday service, disturbing the church's workers. Tell the deacon we ain't speaking, need money, his prayers worthless. I can tell through my alertness. Nervous about his hey, and that's, that's me and L going crazy, yeah. and that's what we do. We, we talk shit with badass motherfuckers on the mic. The hook, though, is a reminder to me to don't let the devil allow you to get so comfortable in your winning that you forget about the times of losing and loss. Don't get so 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 full at the feast that you forget that you when you had to fast because there was a famine. You know what I mean, and for, for me, it, it's it's a it's a delicate balance. But I um, I had to I had to make sure that that as a as a testimony that I that I gave the world this record. Is it is it comfortable for you? Like for for people who would know your work through, say even run the jewels, they'd know your work to be powerful and in political and funny. Facts, I will shoot up. Baby duck if it quacks with a Ruger. Top billing, come cops and billing it. Shots is block shipped out and bought and y'all feeling it. LP killing it. Killer Mike killing it. But for you, Michael, like for you, was this a comfortable shift for you to rap more introspectively? Yeah, it was comfortable until it got uncomfortable, all right? So it's comfortable in that I've decided I'm gonna do a more personal record. I've decided what Michael is gonna be. I cut about 39 records over the course of 90 days. We start to whittle them down to 14, 15, 16 records. Then it's like, okay, it's time to go see No ID. So No ID, who's the executive producer, and I have been friends for, for if not 20, just under 20 years. And I've always been a fan, I'm a hip hop, nerd who gets to call no id my friend and had always talked about him executive producing something i wanted to learn to make a a killer mike album you know what i'm saying without the influence of we want you to sound a little like outcast without the influence of hey you could be a crunk artist without the influence of you just don't have that atlanta sound let's go find that atlanta sound you know what i mean um so Dion was one of the producers I absolutely loved and revered. Getting an opportunity to take him what I what I think was an amazing mixtape and, and say, hey, I need you to help me craft this into an album. And him saying, I got you. I've been waiting on this. And right at the end, Dion saying, and I'm saying Dion has no ID for people who don't know. His yeah. friends usually call him Dion. But um, he says, I don't think you went deep enough. What are you afraid of? I said, excuse me. He's like, what are you really afraid of? And I said, well, I've already faced my, my greatest fears. I said, my grandmother and my mother are dead. And he said, well, that's what you're going to talk about. And I tried to get out of doing the song. And he redoes the beat right there in the studio. And then Aaron, um, Hannibal Burns, who's a friend of mine, an amazing comedian, brought Aaron, uh, Aaron Allen Payne, came through. And she 
oh my God, her voice just is 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 is, is from the angels. And when I went into the booth and that that beat came on, and the first thing I said was, "My mama's dead." And as quivering as my voice is now, it was ten times that then. And then the next time was, "My grandmama's dead," and I never thought I could live without them. And yet here I am, the man they made me to be, making. <clears throat> the greatest art of my life. And in big part, because I had to acknowledge the grieving that I had bottled up for the better part of that time, you know. Let, let me let me play some of the music so people know what we're talking about here. Just take a listen to this. Okay. My mama dead, my grandmama dead. To keep it honest, I get depressed and be feeling scared. You see, I won't prepare and never will be. To think about your death and need sometimes to kill me. You won't believe it, mama. I achieved it, mama. I turned these hating ass people to believers, mama. A black boy born to a team, mama, mama. Gets regarded as a leader by his people, mama. So, so, so two, two things on this. First is, just help me understand something you just said. So, so when you actually went up to the microphone, because I was caught off guard by the first two lines of every verse in this song. Is yeah. my mama's dead, my grandmother's dead, my, my grandmama's dead. And in the second verse, I say, my mama's dead, her mama's dead, because her mother died in my arms. And yeah, I acknowledge both their deaths, every line, first line. And you, 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 what, what I took from what you said earlier was like, you were also sort of acknowledging it to yourself in yeah. a way for the first time. Yeah. 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 And it, it, man, it, it doesn't, uh, <clears throat> I keep thinking the faucet's going to turn off that I'm going to talk about it, but it doesn't. I, I miss them. I miss them so much. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know, I know, I know, and, and I appreciate it. And I don't want you to. No, I'm good. I'm yeah, good. No, I, just, I, know, you know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Listen, I know, I know what, I know what you, I know what you mean. I'm, you know, I've been through it. Can you, can you tell me about them? Tell me about your, tell me about your mom. Oh man, so my mother, <laughs> Denise. People see me with a charm on it. It has diamonds on one side. And um, there's a video for that for that song, and 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 my mom was a, she was a dope she was a dope lady like she was a florist by trade, you know, and an, an artist and interior design all type of stuff. But the the rich white women that bought flowers from her when she was like, you know, in her early twenties, they would ask for coke. <laughs> they would, so she soon found not only was there money to be made and you know doing everything from Christmas trees to uh, floral arrangements in these rich women's houses. Um, and she partnered with a woman named Jean. So it was Drew Jeans was their little business. And uh, Jean was an older white lady and her friend. So my mom was like, yeah, I can get you some Coke. And that turned into, you know, eventually my mom, you know, was a trafficker of large amounts. But she was always an artist at heart. She always encouraged me. She was a, the only child that my grandmother could naturally have. And she was just a, a, a rebel and she was a kindred spirit and she was deeply sensitive, um, which caused later in her life for her to succumb to some addictions that she had only toyed with, you know? So she was just, she was, she was special. She was an artist, you know, and she was free. My grandmother. Yeah. Um, what was her name? Her name was Betty, but my grandmother raised me on a day-to-day basis. She and my grandfather raised me and, and my mother, I remember the day my mother, I have two dads, I have a bio and a non-bio dad. I remember when she was, she had gotten married. There's a picture of me as, as they got married in my aunt. Um, kitchen. There's a picture of me pulling on my, my dad, Tony, my non-bio dad, trying to get his attention because he and my mother are doing a toast, but he's like my my man. It's my friend. It's my dog. It's my dad. And um, I remember when they were going off to get an apartment, and my grandmother said, 
go learn how to be a wife. Um, me and Willie are going to keep him. And, oh, man, my, my mom at that point had to have been 19 years old, and she has to make the decision that leaving my child with his grandmother and grandfather is the best possible decision I can make. Um, not that I'm poor, not that I'm distraught, not, but just that there's a stability there that he needs. And she leaves me a bunch of records and a, and a little what they call a component set. And this is like five, six years old at this point. She leaves me Curtis Mayfield, the Osley Brothers. Hush not, child. And don't cry. Your folks might understand you by and by. Just move on up. You know, the Stax records, and, and it's just, I, I'm free to listen to, to this music and have all this just freedom, and, and I'm free to be an artist, but I miss and I long for her. But my grandmother is very civically minded and socially organized. So she's out with the SCLC, NAACP. She, she's helping get people elected. I'm, I'm right next to her, whether it's city, com, com, city council meetings or church. She's very disciplined and structured in terms of you're going to be a good man. And my grandfather, who had um, grown up in abject poverty, was just a, just a loving man. You know, he was, he, was, he, was, he was just everything a man should be. And these two women shaped me in that I grew up between these people who were 180 different on some things, but on other things, they were exact agreements on. The fact that I was going to be a man of good character in my community, that was that I had no decision in that. You were going to do it or you were, or we were going to, or we were going to beat you till you wanted to do it. You know, it was, they were stern about that. But in terms of how I expressed myself, my grandmother didn't care for rap at all. My, my mother loved it. My grandmother loved Jesus and the church more than anything in the world. My mother believed in God, but believed God was found in a tree somewhere and in living your freedom as a human existence. My, my mother wanted to make sure I went to the best schools possible and those schools were in my grandmother's neighborhood. So these women were very different in terms of the way they view life, but they were very similar in terms of wanting me to be the absolute best representation of my family I could be, you know. I mean that's that that's so meaningful to me because the the I'm so appreciative of you, you telling me that because when I heard the song, I thought to myself, given that they both uh, passed on and, and, and forgive me, they, they 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 each passed on when? My grandmother's been gone eleven years now, my mother's been gone six years now. I felt like I was hearing you tell them about the man you turned out to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I, I really was just telling them Hey, cause see, oh man, my grandmother, I tell you this. So my daughter's 16 years old now. <clears throat> my grandmother died when she was five, walking up a hill with me to a black history showcase that her, her nursery, her pre-K was putting on. And it was after a very intense conversation. Her mother had gotten remarried, had gotten married rather at that point. And my grandmother was, says to me on the way down there, she says, hey, you know, you know, Muffy's married. I said, yes, ma'am. I know Muffy's married. He's a, he's a good man. I connected with him. We'll, we'll build as we're both going to be, you know, her father. Um, and I, and I, and I, it took a lot for me to even say that I'm, you know, for me to have been blessed with two fathers, I'm very selfish with my children. Um, yeah. and, and my grandmother said, well, why don't you let him adopt her? And it, it just, it just broke me down because yeah. I was like, man, 
you don't have the confidence in me. Yeah. And 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 afterward, we had a long discussion about what my responsibilities were, what I had been doing, what I had been doing right, what I had been adjusting, me not traveling as much as I had traveled when the other children were born. Once he got a sense that I'm that I'm in it to be this child's father, not just with presence, but in my presence. She looked at me, she said, I hurt your feelings. And I said, Yes, ma'am. And she said, I'm sorry. And that's something she rarely said. Yeah. <laughs> she she would say, I beg your pardon. Yeah. But she would rarely say, I'm sorry. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And we were walking up the hill together and she looked at me and she looked past me. And God's honest truth, I had been very agnostic in the, my lifestyle I led. I, I ran from the church. I ran from things that were the, the bedrocks of the character that of that I, that I developed. I, I ran from them. I didn't see them as fair places. You know, I went to Islam for a number of years, left that. I just, I was running from whatever the purpose God has in me. Yeah. And I realized when my grandmother looked over my right shoulder, she saw something. And I don't have to read that in a book. I don't have to go to a yogi master for them to tell me something. There is something beyond this realm because I saw it. And she looked at me and she smiled and she hugged me and she was gone. Oh, man. My sister said she had to have been happy yeah. because she loved you more than anything else. <laughs> the ridiculousness is, though, the relationship I had with my grandmother, my mother probably wanted. But because she was a girl, because, you know, they're going to see things differently. Than her mother, my mom, my sisters are just like, I know your head is f***ed up. Because your grandmother is your absolute hero. You view her as a god. But you have to understand that her dying with you was probably the deal she made with God. Like, if I got to go around one of them, let it be him. Yeah, you know? Yeah. My, my, mom, my, my mom and I have a ridiculous argument about this. <laughs> my mom's like, that's not fair. And I said, what? <laughs> I said, yo mama raised me too. That's my mama we burying too. Yeah. And she said, you don't understand. My mama just wanted you, but you're my child. And you don't understand the sacrifice that took from me. And she says, one day I'm going to be gone. And boy, she died. Yeah. I was on a plane trying to make it back home. And damn it, she was right. And I couldn't even call her to say, I'm sorry. I get it. And now I, you know, I talk to her, I talk to her altar. I pray, I meditate, and I have altars for both of them in my home. But I don't know if they hear it, but I know they know they left a man behind. They left a man who's not going to embarrass himself and their name and his people. And and, and everything I do, even if I mess up, I'm going to sincerely say I'm sorry because I was sincere in my intentions. You know. Let me let me first say how how grateful I am for telling me that. Um, yeah. Not not lost on me. Um, very very grateful and I mean unbelievable. Hey brother brother, an enemy more than mothers. Just know that today's a number that life might be filled with troubles. Your troubles. The rapper Killer Mike talking about the loss of his mother and grandmother is a really emotional part of Killer Mike's story. And it has an important place on his new album, Michael, named after his real name, Michael Render. More coming up with uh, Michael, but first here's a little bit more of the record. This track is called Shed Tears. Keep getting harder, have mercy. Every week something hitting me adversely. I remember dropping my 
my baby's off at the church nursery I remember sitting hurt all alone in the church service Asking God to reveal me a plan and a higher purpose Was a boy, now I'm grown, immaturity gone Lying, scheming, and dreaming, and you is getting your own Ask anybody that know me, I suffer slowly for years And now I'm like Kobe gripping that trophy closely And I shed tears More with Killer Mike coming up after this, and you're going to hear Mike talk about the moment he knew he had gone from just being a musician to being a musician and a leader. That's after this on Q. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Just this morning, I was smoking, spoke to both of them. I asked it for her prayers over my generation. And I asked these to keep me through my trials and tribulations. Death will come like thief and night and still get joy away. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with Michael Render, a.k.a. the rapper Killer Mike. And the song you're listening to right now is this track called Motherless, which is this really personal song on his brand new album, Michael, where he talks about the loss of his mother and grandmother, someone who in the first part of our conversation, you would have heard us talk about how important they were to the man he ended up becoming. There was a line, though, in this song that stuck out to me. At one point, he's talking to his mother and grandmother who have passed on. He's telling them about the man he turned out to be. And he said, he's become a leader to his people. I was curious about that line. And that's where the next part of our conversation begins. Here's more of my conversation with Michael Render, a.k.a. Killer Mike. I love, I mean, everything you just told me about your grandmother being your hero makes that line, what's the line in it? Um, he's regarded as a leader by his people, mom. Like people. Yeah, yeah. Everything you yeah. told me about how your grandmother was your hero and she, she took you to marches yeah. and she she inspired this active, uh, activism in you. Yeah. Now that line yeah. is sticking out to me even more. Yeah, that's my girl. I, mean, I, I still remember people ask me, why would you fly home from a Rage Against Machine tour when you have an off day to do a city council meeting to help protect, you know, small black clubs in Atlanta that employ a bunch of people? I say, because that's what you're supposed to do. That my grandmother never, she never told me why we were at city council. Or if I actually, because this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to take care of your neighbor. You're supposed to be an advocate and a lobbyist for, for the betterment of your community. I just do it because this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm not a celebrity that feels guilty because life turned out okay for me. I'm doing what I was taught and trained to do by the woman that I loved and adored as a goddess-like figure in my life. Yeah. But let, let me ask you a question about that, though. So, like, I, I know people in the, in the sort of activism that you're describing there and would be similar to the uh, activism that's in a lot of my friends' life, kind of quiet, on-the-street-based activism. They're, you know, they're, they're, work, yeah. they're working organizing. They're, you know, they're yes. organizing yeah. marches. There came a time, and I wondered, do you know the time when you became a not just an on-the-street organizer but, like, a leader? My dad— Oh, uh, but you, this is just, I'm going to call this interview to cry interview. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. No. So, so my father, my biological dad, um, Big Mike, his father dies when he's 10 years old. 
And he is responsible for helping his mom raise, you know, two brothers, two sisters along with him. And he he's he's a good enough athlete that went to college and played. He's a he's a smart enough student to 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 gone on and got a higher skill trade of some sort. But he ends up being a dad at 19 years old, and he ends up working clumsy warehouse jobs. Ends up being a policeman for a short time. He's a fireman for a short time. He ends up at the gas company working. He's just a he's just a working class man, and and also a hero. I got into the best college for black men in the world, Morehouse College, and my dad was so proud. And because it was really wasn't against all odds story. Teenage parents weren't producing kids that were going to college. I was, they, you know, I, because I had a fascination with folly and mischief, he was always afraid that I'd go around the street. And I come to him and I tell him, well, Dad, I'm, I'm leaving Morehouse. I'm not going back because I want to pursue music. And my dad said to me, um, and I put it like a chip on my shoulder. He said, son, you know they call it? I said, I want to be an artist. Yeah, I tried to make it sound fancy. He <laughs> said, son, you know they call it? You know they call it starving artist for a reason. Now, <laughs> I, I, now I'm telling you, as a 47 year old man, I tell you, I laugh. I've told my kids that a few times, but <laughs> I I needed to I needed to use it when they asked me for money. I said, well, you know they call me a starving artist for a reason. But <laughs> I uh, I put that chip on my shoulder. And I'm, I'm gonna show my dad I can do it. I'm gonna show him I can do it. And uh, I got a record deal. He was proud. I won a Grammy. He was proud. He's had all these proud moments, but there was an article that dropped post Bernie Sanders um, campaign, I think around the second time we were trying to get him in. And it described me, honestly, as a leader. And my dad said, from the time you were a little boy, I could drop you off at nursery. And if me and the teacher just sat outside and just peeked in, you'd tell the other students, I got an idea. Let's do this. And this is how we're going to do it. And the other kids would trust you to do it. And he said, this article describes my son and because I'm named for him has my name mm. in it as a leader. And I, I apologize for saying what I said to you because I wasn't saying I doubted you. I'm just saying, this is how I always saw you, mm. Michael, you have been a leader your entire life. So I, um, I, I told him the story of when he bought me a Raiders jacket, a starter jacket. I really wanted, it was $120. I remember how much it cost it. And um, this is a time where shit, minimum wage is probably still three seventy five. Yeah. He's working a decent job. He's working for the gas company. Yes, good paying job, but still 120 bucks is still just 120 bucks. My dad took a job washing windows at a bank to get that money. Mm-hmm. And when I found that out, I never gave that jacket away. My grandmother, wore that jacket after I stopped wearing starter jackets. And then my little nephew, like, I, because it meant so much to me that he had sacrificed to be a window washer because your child, there's no shame in window washing, no. but to be a man who leaves one job to then go to wash a window so that your child will be happy on December 25th. It's just, it, I've told him you've been my hero a long time. Both my dads have been my heroes a long time. And, I, and I'm blessed to have had men like that, you know, and including my grandfather, to, to guide me. They're going to, they're going to take me out if I, if I talk to you for much longer, but I'm going to ask you another question anyway, before we go. It's been really clear to me through this, this whole thing that you and I have been talking about how, I mean, how much introspection, how much you've been looking at, like where you came from, everything that had to happen, everything that everybody had to do for you to become who you are. After you've gone through this introspection to make Michael What's something new that you've learned about yourself through making it? Oh, man, that, that, I, I think that I can make 
I can make an album that deeply connects to who I am. I'm so thankful. And and I've I've learned that I know how to I know what I'm doing. You you didn't yeah. know that before? No, I didn't know. You're just you're just you're, you're winging it. You think Jackson Pollock really understood what he was doing when he started doing it? No, good point. He just had Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now but now you're a self-aware Jackson Pollock. You know, you're like I know how to yeah. do this now. Yeah, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. I you, <laughs> I can, I can do this a few more years, you know. And it it it, it was it was a beautiful moment of self-discovery. Um and it, and and I come out the other side of it a much more stronger confident in 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 my capabilities because of i've proven myself to have the ability through hard work you know well man i always enjoy the opportunity to talk to you thanks for making the time i appreciate you so much (laughs) i didn't mean to bring the handkerchief out but thank you for allowing me i mean obviously um there's not really many words for the gratitude that you feel when someone opens up to you like that about their family about their lives about their journey, about the hardships they and their family went through. And I'm incredibly grateful um, to Killer Mike for for um, letting me in, I guess, just you know, being so open and honest about all that. I was speaking with Michael Render, a.k.a. Killer Mike, about the release of his new solo record. It's called Michael. It is a beautiful, powerful record. It's out now. And if you need more proof, let's listen to some more music from it. This is called Exit 9. With my 69 fire bird from the curse I done had to work it like a square and had to serve I'm listening to Big and Dre and crumbling on herb I'm pushing down MLK with a quarter pound of herb Passing through the temp, I say a prayer for fallen soldiers Rest in peace to Bruce and may God be with DGOla. God bless the dead, that's a boom, that's a Z And God protect the living, that's for me and that's for sleep We done made it up from shoulders, drinking fallers, living lawless Today in the flame, diamond flawless and I fought it Thank the Lord I ain't a junkie, ain't an alcoholic The pride of Atlanta, Michael Rinder studied balling Let's bring out the champagne, roll up an airplane That's Exit 9 off of Michael Render, a.k.a. Killer Mike's new album. It's called Michael. That is it for this episode of Q. Um, before I tell you about the other episode up today, I just want to say, I want to express some gratitude. Um, you've been very kind and generous uh, with your comments about our Paul Simon interview, so thanks a lot for that. If you haven't heard it yet, subscribe to this podcast. You'll be able to find it. It's also up on our on our YouTube channel. The other episode that's up today is an interesting one. It's a conversation with Jen Grant from Prince Edward Island, who during the pandemic, when everyone was making the most solo and intimate records they could imagine, she booted up her laptop, she opened up Zoom, and she collaborated with people all over Canada and made a brilliant album. And she'll be here to tell you why that was so important to her, not just as an artist, but as a Canadian. All right, check it out. I'm Tom Power. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.